0: There are two main aspects in meditation and in practice which are both very important and which are linked very closely. One is dealing with difficult feelings and emotions and the other one is insight or wisdom. In a retreat like this or in our life Dealing with difficult emotions can often become quite predominant, while insight or wisdom can quite easily get lost or forgotten in our practice. But in fact, the two can and should get connected, and that's what I like to talk about tonight. Ways of working. Ways of being with disturbing emotions in different ways. In ways that are protecting, protecting ourselves from them. In ways that are counteracting them. In ways that are using them as food for wisdom, food for insight. The main reason why we meditate and practice is hope, freedom, inner freedom, freedom from suffering. That's what we all really want. Happiness, serenity, inner peace. In a way that's what we mean when we speak of enlightenment. A mind that's peaceful within and compassionate and wise in its manifestation what keeps us from being that way is not the outside world or the circumstances or the situations we find ourselves in but rather it's our own mind as we all know by now and to be more precise it's the Negative or unwholesome or Tormenting emotions and mind states Within our heart and mind The kleshas, as they're called In Buddhist languages Meaning that which torments or Defiles or deludes the mind Plainly speaking, if we could Manage to get rid of our mind's ignorance and deludedness and with it our attachment and craving our anger fears our jealousies and conceits, and all the other Poisons or tormenting emotions We would be incredibly happy Incredibly peaceful people Recently somebody said but I like my anger and I somehow can relate to how that was meant, because there was a sense that if you didn't have that, you would be all flat and boring or something. It's not that way, I think. we really have to understand what that would mean to be free of these difficult emotions. It would be fabulous. Since it looked, though like we can't get rid of all these properties of the mind that easily you know we have come to one retreat maybe many retreats maybe many 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 retreats and they're still around it really is worthwhile to take some time actually take a lot of time in retreat and elsewhere to look at the different difficult emotions and taking time to learn to work with them to be with them in skillful ways and um, before I go on I like to make a point sometimes when I give the talk about working with difficult emotions somebody come some people come to the interview the next day and they say I really have a problem I just can't find any difficult emotions today so it, this is if and when Difficult emotions arise. This is how we work with them. We don't need to make them, okay? They'll be around and if not in this retreat, then maybe when we leave the retreat or at home or wherever So it's not that we should have them so we can work with them. It's just to know How to be with them when they arise and they don't need to be dramatic difficult emotions as we get more balanced within you know, things get subtler and we have to learn to do to deal in the same skillful ways with them when they're less dramatic but still really influencing us and binding us there are a number of ways of dealing with or relating to these difficult emotions and I shortly mention them and then we can look at them one by one the first way of relating, well known to us all, is either to express or suppress a difficult emotion. The next way is to work with precepts, with guidelines, and with limits that we set for ourselves. Also with forms, of forms. Another way is to generate positive qualities as antidotes to the difficult ones Create a whole different environment inside that weakens the unwholesome emotions And eventually there is the way of awareness of non-doing and wisdom And perhaps ultimately in some way one could speak of yet an ultimate way or approach. And that's not have negativities arise because one doesn't create them anymore. One has seen that each time in a way we create them. They're being created in the moment, in the situation, and we learn to not even create the conditions for them to arise Let's look first at our usual way of relating to this disturbing, unwholesome feelings and emotions. When, for example, a person or a situation makes us angry, the anger first arises as an intense, unpleasant, usually, feeling, together with a number of angry thoughts. You know, somebody does something in the meditation hall, we think they shouldn't, and Sort of we react And anger comes up And then the mind says You know But Don't they know You know Da 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 The words And the energy That comes up And We get lost In thinking Maybe we think What we could do You know I'll write them a note Or You know Something Or at the end of the retreat I'll tell them And It's kind of Acting on it Even though we might stop short of actually writing the note or actually going up to them and saying this or that in other situations we might easily go up and say it actually quite quickly or we might do things it's that energy and if it's unchecked and we feed it by the thinking mind it starts to spill over angry speech comes, angry action It could be cursing, putting down, blaming, or whatever more radical methods that are used very often in this life. Whether it's in our thought or speech or our actions, the emotion of anger is expressed, is manifested. It's as if we couldn't stand that that unpleasantness of the anger and we think the best way to get rid of it is to do something about it I tell them or I do something so they stop that much of the time it's not very helpful of course because expressing anger usually doesn't make the others very peaceful and and kind to us rarely brings the desired result and is likely to cause more trouble also if we As we do that, it creates a lot of trouble and suffering for ourselves because it creates negative karma each time we act on this kind of difficult emotions. And that, again, creates harmful, for us, painful results in the future and also it strengthens that tendency to have these kind of feelings and to express them. So, in many ways, we have seen that in our life. Sometimes we see it, we learn that very small because if we express anger, we learn that they won't love us and they will also be angry to us or whatever the consequences are. So, we have learned to suppress, depending on the circumstances. We have learned to shut up, to tighten up, to swallow, to ignore, get busy with something else, pretend we have not noticed. At some point, we learn even to keep smiling. Also, good Buddhists can do that quite well sometimes. Yet, most of us have also found out that suppressing, avoiding, ignoring creates even more suffering within. And it can be like a slow acting poison within. So, since expressing and Suppressing both are problematic most of the time. We need to look at other ways of relating to these powerful, difficult emotions. One way, which is mostly a way to protect us from the trouble that results from expressing the negativities, is working with precepts, with guidelines, or setting limits for ourselves. In this approach, we protect ourselves and we protect others, perhaps even more, from our anger, from our excessive greed, cravings, from our need and desire to manipulate, from our arrogance and so forth. And being lay people, that means not ordained as nuns or monks, we can take or work with the so-called five guidelines or five precepts consider those ways of action or of restraining actions and working with them studying them seeing how what it does for us the first one is not killing possibly not harming any living being and to see that out of respect for ourselves and others out of respect for life this is a very powerful kind of decision we can take and depending on the individual and the situation and where we're at you know there's a whole range of how we interpret that for ourselves that people feel that um, I'll just decide as much as I can to not intentionally kill beings. Some clearly decide from this size on I don't count them anymore, but it's like you know you start somewhere. and then there's many ways of going really far. there are people who um like you can choose to be vegetarian for that reason, you can choose it for other reasons, of course, you can go further, you can be a vegan, you can choose to. The people who don't pay a certain percentage of the taxes because that goes to um to into army expenses and they decide that no matter you know how difficult that will make things for them they're not going to pay that like you can take it really far or you can say okay all i want to do is not intentionally kill anywhere on that range I think is very um, interesting and quite powerful practice to see what that does to ourselves and and our being in this life. Not taking what hasn't been given to us, not taking what doesn't belong to us, again we can decide we're not going to steal what's not so difficult. Or the people who have become extremely sensitive and conscious in how they use the resources of our planet. Many not so obvious ways we take things that perhaps might not belong to us. And again, it's up to the individual of how we take, you know, how we work with that. I fly a lot because uh, I'm invited to teach courses here and there in the world. I know what an airplane burns in, in just one takeoff. It's absolutely embarrassing. And sometimes I wonder if it's not maybe stupid, even, you know, to, to do that. And it's very difficult to weigh the pros and cons. I mean, I can say they're going to fly anyway. I don't know. There are many shades of, you know, looking into that. We can. Be sensitive and abstain from sexual relationships that are harmful and hurtful to any person concerned. Bring real sensitivity into that area. And again, that can go from just somewhat being sensitive to celibacy in the case of nuns or monks who decide, I'll just work with that area in this way. or in retreats that's what we decide and what we agree upon and then see how we can work within that um, kind of frame of things or we can look at the guideline taking the precept of not lying being really honest and again that can go from deciding i'm not gonna lie or i'm never gonna lie except when I have to go through customs in England and if I tell them what I do, I can't come and teach a retreat or do a retreat or whatever, so maybe I'll be a little flexible there and some people might not, and some might or, you know, again, go really far and look at one's speech in a sense of looking where we sometimes add a little bit, you know, make make look things a little nicer or you know, project a certain image by just saying something a little bit differently, or adding or subtracting a little bit. This whole lot of nuance is how far we can take that kind of awareness,
1: and again, it's
0: very individual. In that same kind of uh, class, is the decision of keeping the silence we do in this retreat, you know, deciding for that much time we're gonna be completely silent except for interviews and decide that no matter what and again having that frame or that form within which we then really see the movements of the mind that look unlike perhaps to be silent all the time or that you know make up little excuses a good reason why it would be actually better more skillful for the practice and for the other person Talk a little bit anyway, you know, just important things. And again, see how what we can learn in that. The guideline of not taking alcohol or drugs because they might weaken our mindfulness or they might alter consciousness. And again, it can go from using substances in a way that's very sensitive and skillful but you know deciding what that means to deciding i'm not going to touch any of this ever or use it differently in different situations like in retreat in different ways from maybe a daily life and see what we can learn there how this affects us and how this affects others these are extremely useful guidelines for retreats can also be very useful guidelines for life again that's one's choice They're generally speaking very powerful protection in many ways for oneself and others is mostly protecting ourselves from aversion from greed from attachments from rushing into acting on negative emotions in ways that we don't really want. Situations, circumstances can be both very enticing or strongly pressuring us into expressing negativities, into acting in unskillful ways. Ways that we'll regret later on. And clear guidelines or precepts really specially help us in that We don't have to think about it anymore especially when it's a situation where things go fast we're just not going to do it if you work with those precepts and take them seriously it's very interesting to see what happens in one's dreams after some years they or maybe after some days or weeks with others they start to Somehow become relevant in the dreams And I don't mean kind of lucid dreaming Where where one knows what one is doing But just in the dreams They start to come in And it's very fascinating to see how A profound an impact they can have Shantideva says It is not possible for me To restrain the external course of things But if I restrain this mind of mine There is no need to control everything else ethical guidelines are the basis for all spiritual growth and also for the insight that can come there the text says just as a blind person does not see forms so does one not see the dharma when one is without ethics this has been debated a lot it's interesting to look at it you know consciously seriously for oneself not a text uh, just a person without feet cannot walk. So one does not become liberated when one lacks ethics. In retreats perhaps, in retreats, perhaps so that in you know, people might find it very helpful and effective to work with more guidelines and precepts. In Asia it's generally done. Eight that I use, not just five as I mentioned at the beginning of this retreat one may decide to abstain from wearing ornaments wearing jewelry abstain from spending time beautifying oneself or tanning oneself for that matter just looking at what it would mean to simply drop all these concerns just for once in a lifetime doesn't mean for ever in a lifetime just for five days 10 days 15 days you know just to see how would life be if I just didn't have to bother with that stuff what would I lose and maybe what might I gain very interesting one might decide to eat a bit less one might decide to use more of the time for formal walking meditation you know changing the form making the Form a little stronger somehow. And in all these cases, taking good look at one's desires or attachments, taking good look at one's vanities, at one's laziness or willingness to put in effort. You see here here we are trying to fathom the mystery of life, looking for the deepest freedom. And the mind says, I'll just quickly fix my makeup then I'll really meditate mm-hmm. I'll just put a, some of this really wild aftershave and then I'll deepen my concentration to get rid of attachment I'll just go for a nice long hike then I'll develop true renunciation and commitment to the meditation practice mm-hmm. and to find out for oneself whether that's helpful or not or how it might be helpful or not. See what it does. What we're up to here, what the Buddha called the true heart release, takes tremendous commitment, takes tremendous interest. And it takes the willingness to give ourselves the kind of a frame, frame of guidelines and precepts, timetable, out to forms, like one out to forms to sit here for from the time the bell rings out there to the time the bell rings in here to so form and then when the bell rings in here to the walking meditation until the bell rings out there again mm-hmm. we're using that frame that form and within that we then explore the mind's movements, the difficult emotions how they work within that And we see quite clearly our habitual reactions without being carried away by them, without all the time being lost in them. Monks and nuns work with hundreds of precepts and plenty of how to form. It's actually an entire path in itself. It's very demanding in terms of mindfulness and of restraint and letting go and of commitment to practice. for people who do that, it can become something like a portable retreat, you know, it's like you have your retreat always with you wherever you go in this world. It's very helpful and it's strengthening in virtue. It's a tremendous protection. The next way or means to work with disturbing emotions is to Develop, cultivate and sustain the positive qualities of mind as antidotes to the unwholesome ones. As we strengthen and deepen our meditation and actual application of love and kindness, of metta, our tendencies towards aversion and hatred will naturally weaken. As we grow in compassion anger violence and cruelty will start to fade within it won't uproot them but it'll weaken them being aware being in touch with the impermanent changing empty nature of things and beings will much less grasp and hold on to things because there's the insight that sees that this doesn't make sense that this leads to suffering Again monks and nuns traditionally may spend time to contemplate the loathsomeness of the body, observing carefully what it is that flows out through it's nine I think openings yeah contemplating what is underneath or inside the skin know the skin were not there looking at what happens to it when it's sick or at the time of death or especially after death and uh, Sensual grasping and passionate attachment can be diminished that way. And as I mentioned before, among the different types of people, this meditation is more suitable for the greedy type, not so much for the aversion type. And that's why another another way of developing opponent forces of the mind, which I also mentioned before, is to contemplate the beautiful, inspiring, qualities of Buddha or of Dharma or of Sangha which then opens the narrow mindedness releases inner tightness lightens the critical the worrying, the doubting mind and creates inspiration and joy and enthusiasm meditation on sympathetic joy what it helps with jealousy and envy We practice Mudita then our reaction will more easily go in that direction than in the direction of competitiveness and jealousy Contemplating dependent arising and emptiness of a separate independent self not only destroys conceit the conceit of thinking I am very special But it eventually allows for the insight that clears our delusions. The insight that really makes liberation possible. And we are actually in the process of developing many of these qualities here as we sit and walk and go through the day. And some we develop explicitly like um, awareness, insight, Or like metta, in the metta meditation But many others we also develop Maybe less obviously Like patience, perseverance, steadiness of mind Flexibility, pliancy of mind, equanimity Many very powerful qualities Developing opposing qualities is always very helpful Except perhaps when there are negative emotions Which we won't accept which we aren't willing to feel for example to use metta as a kind of weapon when we are angry like there's anger and we don't like it so I say may I be happy and peaceful maybe or you know we hate that person instead of opening and just allowing that feeling to be there and actually have it in the body and be there with it it's like you know oh may he be happy may he be peaceful it's like you know actually trying to get rid of the hatred, because we can't stand it, or we we feel bad about it, or we think we shouldn't have it. And it's not very skillful skillful because what we then think is Metta, really is aversion pushing away. You know, we might use the right words, but it still doesn't make something (laughs) Metta. True Metta is the willingness to embrace the anger, to embrace even anger. So it can get healed. So it loses its power, but not not being crushed or pushed away, but being held. Thich Nhat Hanh describes what it would mean to meet anger with, avers- with awareness and with metta. Our attitude is, is to take care of anger. We don't suppress it we don't run away from it we just hold our anger in our arms then anger is no longer alone it is with our caring mindfulness if we keep shining our compassion and understanding on it our anger will soon crack open and we will be able to look into its depth and see its root so developing Wholesome positive qualities that counteract difficult negative emotions or that create an atmosphere where they don't gain in strength. It's a very powerful, supportive aspect of our practice. The next layer of approach is that of meeting the disturbing emotions with bare mindfulness, with full, plain awareness. If we do this completely Or each time we can do and we do this completely It will be enough None of these difficult emotions will be a problem and That's all But it might sound easier than it is We actually know that And yet it doesn't take, it doesn't really take much practice What it takes is understanding of how to do it A and then actually doing it being willing to do it which is maybe the most sort of tricky or touchy point even when we know what it would take you know are we really gonna do it in this approach we need to really be in contact with that usually unpleasant difficult feeling that emotion That means not just observing it from a safe distance You know, sort of there's anger, you know But it's not, you know, I'm really untouched by this. it's kind of, you know Sometimes meditators can actually develop that attitude You know, here's me and here's this kind of base emotion It's not my stuff, that's really strong To allow those intense feelings to be felt not trying to remove them, not trying to change them, not trying to get rid of them. And to be able to do that, few things help. And you've all heard this before. First, of course, there needs to be a clear mindfulness. Otherwise, we'll be caught by it, lost in it. Okay. With the mindfulness, there needs to be a non-judgmental attitude which is really a, a gentleness and that is necessary because otherwise as soon as we judge the negative emotion that's already aversion. it's not really mindfulness it's a kind of biased mindfulness that really pushes against it then it helps to be very clear on what the emotion is exactly and in that sense it helps to give it the name And then to be sure that we're really with it, it's best to make sure we feel it in the body. The first point, clear mindfulness, is what we're practicing here day in, day out. And I don't want to say more right now. It's the being present moment to moment as much as we can. The second point is similar. If we really understand What mindfulness really means What that quality is Then we are practicing A non-judgmental attitude of gentleness Because to What we really mean When we say awareness or mindfulness It is that quality of being with That which is right now In a way that Leaves it the way it is That accepts it the way it is That allows it to be the way it is Which means non-judgmental the next point is to be clear on what the emotion is to take a few seconds it doesn't take more just to give it the name it doesn't always work sometimes you don't find the name or it's many things and it's okay too but just to acknowledge what it is and if we feel we say, oh there's the feeling we're feeling disappointed or sad or lonely or rejected or sometimes we don't know at all what's going on so maybe we realize oh it's the feeling of bewilderedness or we might feel helpless or we might feel insecure or might be anger, irritation or aggressiveness or impatience or boredom or greed or being possessive it might be anxiety or worry or fear or guilt or pride or indifference to just look, if something calls our attention and we know something is going on, just say, okay, oh, it's something like this. And that really makes it clear. We're much more present, it's much easier to be present with that when we just take a moment to give it the name. Um, of course, there are just as many pleasant. Feelings and emotions and, and wholesome ones Each time I gave this talk Somebody came and told me Only oh, that the negative ones So it is to talk about Difficult emotions That's why I mostly list them But of course There are also Feelings of being thrilled Delighted Satisfied or lively, or hopeful Feeling open Generous Kind Tolerant Interested Calm Trusting Content And of course There too It's good if you just Know what it is that we feel when it becomes strong It doesn't mean we have to sit here and spend our time you know, giving names to things It's always the situations and the moments when feelings become predominant and call the attention Sujata said Meditation does not necessarily make us feel good all the time it does awaken us to the many things we do feel So being clear on what they are Can help tremendously It's clear mindfulness Non-judgmental attitude of gentleness Recognizing the emotion of, for what it is Maybe giving it the name The fourth point is to be sure we feel it in the body I mean if it comes and we see what it is And it disappears, fine, It's enough Sometimes it's very fast If it sticks around make sure you feel it in the body, because unless we feel it very clearly in the mind, without getting lost in the thoughts and in the drama that come with it, it's trickier just to see it in the mind and it's more tangible to be with it in the body if you're not sure that you're feeling it in the body take a moment or if you're still lost in in the story take a moment to describe to yourself oh what do i feel actually this fear or this anger oh it's here i feel it here or it's a tightening in the throat or it's a vibration in the center of the stomach or it's a sensation of heat that rises comes up into upper part of the chest or whatever it's crunching my teeth or it's tightening here if we just describe it in one or two sentences it means we went there to feel it we couldn't describe it if we hadn't felt it so it's just to actually go there sometimes you know people say I felt really angry a lot today and Asking, you know, can you describe how that felt? They can't. And if if you feel angry, you know, an hour and a half in one day, it'd be very interesting to take one or two minutes to actually feel it so closely that you know where you felt it, how it manifested in the body. (laughs) And doing that in a way, the attention going there goes away from the content goes away from the story, goes away from the drama, and we can just be with that feeling which might be very unpleasant, but which, as soon as we're there with it and just leave it, is not the problem anymore. It's only a problem because it's unpleasant, and we don't like it when it's unpleasant. But beyond that, it's rendered harmless. you see if we find out how to come in close contact and if we're willing to be in close contact then it's much simpler to stay and there's much less chance to get lost in it and it's so helpful it's also so helpful in daily life if something happens and there's a whole content and and you know there are many reasons why we maybe even should be angry and just To remember that we could just turn to that feeling of anger for a while. Maybe we can count to 50. Before we're going to do anything. Before we're going to say anything, answer, react, or do anything. Just be with it. It makes things so much simpler and clearer. We know what's going on. I'm really angry. And it's not a problem. I just might not want to react on it. I just might not want to say something. (coughs) Can you wait a moment? Before I respond to this one, or you know I'll tell you in a few minutes something like that and just hanging with it there without being carried away, nor having to push it away. there's a great freedom in being able to just being with it without pushing or pulling or doing anything. <clears throat> If we do that, if we really actually do that, even a few times, we start to also realize that it's quite rich. It's quite amazing. It's very intense energies that um are okay to, to be felt. Maybe they're here to be felt. We don't need to be so worried and concerned about them. And we don't need to get rid of them or express them so much. We're not thrown by these energies and events anymore, be it anger, or craving, or fear, or jealousy, or conceit. We're right present, doing absolutely nothing. In that, we can discover that somehow there's a kind of openness. With it, there's a kind of spaciousness or transparency. If there's an intensive feeling of anger. And we're just there and we're amazed by it. We see that There's really space enough for it That is very fascinating that Somehow changes our relationship to it We see that the emotion or the energy Be felt vividly and nakedly And as we do that at the same time It looks more insubstantial it's not so urgent and so bad anymore and we don't have to fight against it we realize it's not much really it's just that feeling but you can't point at it you can't hold on to it it's sort of it's very ephemeral like thoughts a bit it's just more intense amount than thoughts but it's like this ingrassable stuff that produces itself comes it. and goes and as we allow it to be in that way it'll change That way or the other, and eventually it will disappear all by itself. And I find it all, each time so amazing to see that all these difficult emotions, when we don't do anything about them, they just disappear. Even actually when we do a lot, as we often do, you know, get lost in them, fight and struggle with them, even then at some point they disappear. You know, maybe it was anger and the food bell goes. Then that part disappears and maybe another one comes. So even more so If you're just with it Then don't do anything For or against it It just comes And does its things Disappears Sometimes it lingers a while Then slowly it dissolves Like mist dissolves When the sunlight comes Other times When the awareness is keen It disappears Almost while it arises It arises and it seems to As it's seen Or met by awareness To dissolve right as it arises it's like a drawing in water we draw it but as we draw it it disappears and in this it becomes so obvious that the nature of emotions the nature of everything whatever it is is impermanent empty and graspable as we start to see that even negative emotions become food for insight become food for wisdom we're done with having to do something about them to get rid of them make ourselves feel the right way and we have all the time to just see oh wow all this comes and goes it's ungraspable and substantial show that goes on that I call me so there's a lot more of time also an opportunity to have insight and to deepen it all seen like reflections in the mirror appearing quite vividly because it's intense sometimes vividly unpleasant and yet quite unreal mere sensation, mere thought mere emotion it's like empty awareness dancing with empty appearance seeing that over and over again insight, wisdom deepens and so, that's the freedom. It's not only, freedom doesn't only start once we're rid of all that stuff. Freedom starts when this is not the problem anymore. A Lama says, In the dreams which arise in our sleep, and we have not moved even a fraction of an inch from our bed, we experience it all just as vividly as in our waking hours. Similarly, all the appearances of this life are just like experiencing last night's dreams. Everything appears and is experienced by the mind according to how it labels and grasps it. The dreams of the sleeping state are devoid of self-nature. Likewise, all that appears in the waking state is also empty in this recognition these seemingly or so-called difficult emotions are not identified with not grasped at and they lose the power they otherwise have over us and With this kind of understanding, whenever they arise, our insight into their insubstantial nature actually deepens. So they're really becoming food for insight. Emotions come about through causes and circumstances and are empty in and of themselves. Therefore, nothing needs to be done for or against them. We can relax and be easy about them. Eventually, as we see it over and over in a clear way, we'll discover that a lot of the time we don't even need to create some of the inner conditions it takes to have these negative emotions arise. And then sometimes we see that and understand it, and they simply don't arise. Or they arise about that much and the next moment, they're seen and dropped They don't need to rise very often In the hundred thousand songs of Milarepa the five demons sing to Milarepa and demons seem to stand for these difficult emotions here If the thought of demons never rises in our mind You need not fear the demon host around you thus it is most important to cultivate your mind within in skillful ways with awareness the demons the torment will simply not arise tradition has a simile that illustrates these different ways of dealing with disturbing emotions Someone comes along the path and sees a poisonous plant which stands for these tormenting emotions. They avoid the plant because they know the painful consequences of that poison when they touch it. That's the first approach of protection through guidelines, through precepts, throughout the forms. Then someone comes along the path the same poisonous plant but isn't so afraid to be touched by it because they know they have the antidote for that poison with them so even though they would touch it then you know it would be poisonous they would have some remedy for it the wholesome qualities that we have developed and that we have with us and yet someone else comes along and doesn't fear or hesitate to even touch and gather that plant because they know how to transform the poison into medicine into the medicine of wisdom and of course we are each one of these people and we use each of these strategies skillfully depending on our inner and outer situation and circumstances sometimes precepts are very important Sometimes just awareness is enough and that takes care of it all, but not always To be skillful in that way and to use whatever is most helpful Throughout history there have been individuals and whole traditions actually who have put much more emphasis on the one or the other of these approaches Maybe some might say following precepts it is what's most important and that really the path that is freeing and transforming you know using forms and these frames another tradition might say within wide open awareness there's no duality and none of this matters they're from the very beginning Unfortunately throughout history also there have been individuals and also sometimes whole traditions, who identified more or almost exclusively at times with one approach? Putting the other ones down or calling them inferior or calling them degenerations, not limiting their own possibilities and even falling prey to their own arrogance of identifying with one approach and then thinking this is the one way. And yet, All we have to know and all we have to understand in this connection is that the tormenting, difficult emotions are harmful and are poisonous unless we know well how to deal with them skillfully in these different ways. Unless we know how to make these stumbling blocks into stepping stones. To the degree we're able to do that, to that degree there's inner freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.